Good morning, Journey. Why don't you go ahead and stand us? Stand with us. You can stand us too. We're going to sing and worship this morning. Well, now we're going to do it.
Good morning, everyone. It's an incredible Sunday. I love this Sunday. First Sunday of the month is not only a day that we get to celebrate communion, but I think this one's unique because we get to celebrate it uh, during Christmas time. And I feel like unlike anything else, this is a season that we get the whole picture. We get a reminder again and again of God's faithfulness that it started with a birth. It started with life. It started with a baby being born that wasn't just any other baby, it was the Messiah. We are in a service this morning because of this man. Whether you are familiar with him or not, there was a man born 2,000 years ago that we still talk about, that we remember, that we have relationship with. I love it because for me, it, it paints the whole picture of the humanity of this man, Jesus. He wasn't just some distant, it's not like, you know, we got Santa Claus and Rudolph and Jesus that we all got all that going on at the same time at Christmas. The rest of it is all good and well. Got no problem, problems with Christmas. But let us not forget that we are here this morning because we have a God who sent his son, and you hear these words, but I want you to hear them with fresh ears this morning sent his son to bridge a gap for relationship with us. The do-it-yourself mentality, the be good enough and earn it mentality, all of that got swiped away the moment that Jesus was sent to the earth because the moment that that happened, he took on everything and now relationship is free. You get it for free. Zach First Service said nothing is for free and that's the truth except for this, this is free. You don't earn it, you don't buy it, you can't pay for it even if you wanted to. So we're gonna worship. We're gonna worship a man who is also fully God, who came to earth as a baby, died and rose again, and that's why we're, we're doing communion this morning. So at any point during the next two songs, I encourage you, there's four spots in the, around the room. Take the elements, bring them back to your, to your seat. Feel free to pray over them, worship. Take them when you're ready. But my prayer is that this shifts something in our spirit this morning, that our worship is different. Can our worship be different this morning? Can our worship be something that overflows out of a heart of gratitude? Who has something to be thankful for today? If you've got something to be thankful for, then you've got something to worship for. So we're going to worship our God. Jesus, as we go into this moment of remembrance, I pray that you would awaken something in us. Let us not be dulled by familiarity. But let a fresh perspective overtake us. Let us see with new eyes what you've done for us, what you do for us every day. God, let us worship you from the depths of our hearts this morning. 
not out of guilt or obligation or compulsion, but out of a freedom and a gratitude and a thankfulness because you are worthy. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen.
There we go. All right. Man, can we give it up to this worship team over here, though? Like, man, I love Communion Sunday. Like, for real, like, I don't know, there's something in there. I love it. I love praise. So, um, but yeah, this week, uh, I'm sorry. My name's Zach. Um, I've been going here to Journey for like six years, and I was asked to give the uh, encouragement message this morning. And um, as I prepared this week, uh, I had all these thoughts of what I wanted to say, and of course, the way that God works, all that's out the window, and he directed me somewhere completely different. So um, this week, I was kind of directed to a, a book that I read or that I heard of when I took my dad uh, for his birthday to a, a Chris Tomlin concert. Uh, it was amazing. If you guys have never been to a Chris Tomlin concert, recommend it. So, um, but yeah, he talked on uh, the different words that the Bible uses for praise. And the one that stood out to me the most was uh, Tauda. So the definition of Tauda is an extension of the hand in thanksgiving, a confession, a sacrifice of praise, thanksgiving for things not yet received, a choir of worshipers. Um, this verse and this, this um, uses of praise is used in uh, Psalms 56, verse 11 through 12. In the, it says, in God I put my trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made to you are binding upon me, O oh God. I will render tada to you. I don't know about you guys, but Friday night, I found myself and my wife. We were in the parking lot of Ashley Furniture, and this is honestly where my wife had first seen her first miracle of tithe. And uh, um, it was just funny, because we were sitting there in the car, and we were talking about how we can look back and see how our faith was the strongest when our situation looked the bleakest, you know? Um, we met uh, eight years ago now, and when we first met, I was a single father raising two kids. Um, I met her and I was entering into a, a court battle that uh, I found to be uh, six years in the making, you know? We've been, we were going at it for six years and 
during that time, it was really stressful. Um, but we found Journey Church about two years into our relationship. We got engaged. We started showing up here. And um, coincidentally, non-coincidentally, God works in great ways. But we started coming here. We went to a, um, a wedding expo, and we won a free wedding, which never free. It cost a crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. But, uh, but yeah, like, it just got us. Um, it was just, like, amazing, like, the things that were already happening when we started stepping into church and, and walking with Christ. But we ended up um, two years in, coming here, fighting in court, planning a wedding, and the church talked one Sunday about um, a backpack drive that took place in, like, East Lancaster. And the church gave, like, I don't even know how many backpacks to this school. And as a single father of two, I was raised by a single father of four, and uh, I can recall going to, to school without a backpack, you know? And so when I heard that, I was like, dang, like, I'm going to give. Like, we're going to give no matter what. So, of course, like, I'm all in 100%. I'm, like, going to my fiance, like, yo, we're going to start giving to the church. And she's like, no. Like, with what money? What, what, what are you talking about? We're broke. Like, so, but no, like, we worked it out. We set some money aside, we started giving, man, but we made a promise to God. We were like, when we get married, when this all gets done, we're gonna start not only giving, but we're gonna start serving at this church. This church is doing amazing things. I don't know if you guys know, but we are inviting hundreds of foster kids to this church on Friday. That is, that's, it's life changing, man. Like, we are gonna do something in this valley that needs to be done, you know, like, and right now I'm just, I just want to invite you guys into a stance of Tauda, a stance of expecting what God is going to do in our lives, you know? And if you guys, like some of you guys, we have backbone givers at this church, people that give above and beyond. And if that's you, then just be thankful, like step back and just thank God for what he's, where, where he's brought you to this place, but to also just thank God for what's about to happen, what's coming. Right now we're leaving a situation of thanksgiving, Tauda, thanksgiving. And moving into a season of expectation of Christmas, the gift that God has done, bringing his son and giving his son to us. So as I invite the ushers up, I just want to just bow our heads right now and just enter into a place of Taldah where you can just lift up whatever expectations you have right now to God. Lord, we, we come before you, Heavenly Father, and we just thank you so much for this community, Heavenly Father, this this church that you have assembled here of all these people, Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for them. And as we invite the children of this, of this uh, Antelope Valley into our home, these foster children, God, we just ask that not only do the amazing things and all the blessings that we were able to pour onto them have life transformation for them, Heavenly Father, but for those who are giving their time, giving their, their gifts, Lord, that you just allow them to feel that change and just continue to, to build and build that heart of thanksgiving and that heart of giving, Heavenly Father. And I just thank you for what you're going to do and everything that you have planned for this church and for this valley, Heavenly Father. And we just give it to you and declare it in your holy name. Amen. So um, <laughs> woo! we're going to invite Emma and Presley up to do announcements. And yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Zach. Can we give it up for Zach? Thank you, Zach. I said it for a service, but him and his wife, Gia, are just so amazing. We love them so much. So, Thank good you, morning. Zach. Yes. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing this morning? Good morning. Good morning. 
My name is Presley. I'm Emma. We want to give you your Sunday morning announcements. That's right. We want to jump off of what Zach said. Thank you so much for that great message. This season has just been so sweet already. Um, I refuse to buy into the stress. I, I love what Dave is going to speak and teach you guys about today because it, it really resonates. I don't know if you guys woke up on Thanksgiving morning and just had this just like childlike wonder, but I did. I mean, it I was, snowed in the AV. I was laughing when I walked out back to let my chickens out. And I'm just like, nothing can get me down today. Um, so you guys, this weekend we have an amazing event, like Zach said, for the foster teens that are coming from all over the place out here and just we have no idea if they're having a great day, a bad day, great season, a bad season, but we can only assume that uh, what they're going through could be quite challenging and um, we're coming here to just wrap them around in love and I just have to say that this has just been such an incredible season to just dive in. I sat for years in the back of the church and just didn't want to participate because I didn't want to uh, get too busy, like Dave was saying. <laughs> but we really do need to center our lives around what God has called us to do. And just being a part of it has just blown my mind. So I encourage you guys to come out. We have no idea uh, what these kids will experience through the lens that we provide to them. We have no idea if this will be the moment that they encounter God. Or community and on Thanksgiving morning sweet Bianca she sent me a text that said something along the lines of um, you're just a hot mess but you've changed the trajectory <laughs> just kidding <laughs> of my soul and I thought oh my gosh same um, the community that we have here um, this is what it's all about getting yeah. together and doing life to, with one another and um, we invite all hot messes because so, we're all hot messes. So there's a lot that goes with the Christmas chill that we'll get into. There's a lot of ways that you can help. Um, the seat that you're sitting in, if you could just pick it up and move it to the side right after service, if you could just do that, that would be wonderful. And for Presley, because she stubbed her toe. Yeah, and so, Presley has so too. many other ways that you could help out. Get That's into right, that girl. So, like Emma was saying, you know, it's a really busy season. We have Thanksgiving, and whether you're stressed out about the mashed potatoes or the green beans or your weird family coming over, my dad always said my family puts the fun in dysfunction. And if yeah. you look into Scripture, there is no perfect family. So you could be like the family in the Bible, man. <laughs> you're gonna change the holidays up this season. But it's not about the presents. It's not about Santa, like what Ty was saying. It's not about any of that. It's about giving back. So our foster teen Christmas party does just that. And so there's so many ways we can, you guys can help. Um, like Emma said, after service, if you guys just can move your chairs to the side, that would be awesome because we're going to start breaking ground um, right after this service for the party. Also, our Connect event Wednesday at 6.30. We're going to be putting up some more decorations for the Teen Christmas yeah. Party. So if you want to come out for the Connect event and help us do that, that would be awesome. And then for our Foster Teen Christmas Party, it is Friday at 6 o'clock. If you want to come out, we need a hype team. We need yeah. people to get these kids excited for this Christmas party. We need cheerleaders. If yeah. you were not a cheerleader in high school, you could be one on Friday. It's going to come be and talk great, to us. you guys. That's right. 
And also we need people a little bit before <laughs> the event to help set up tables and then after to help us clean up. So yes. it would be so great. And nobody ever the wants to spring. clean up. I know. But let me just tell you, we really need help cleaning up. <laughs> we do. We do. Yeah. So, so that's all we have for you guys this morning. So take a second and say hello to someone next to you. Grab a seat. I'm Dave. I'm one of the pastors, and I'm really excited to kick off this new series called Joy. I'll get to that in just a moment. But yeah, about the foster party. If you have not uh, decided if you're going to bring a gift, you don't know what to do, uh, we have a gift list, <clears throat> kind of a wish list in the lobby. You can check it out. Hotspot. You can also go on AB Journey and check out our wish list. That's some of the gifts that we're trying to get for the foster kids. You can make a donation. Um, we have lots of ways like that financially that you can contribute or participate as well as if you can serve or not serve, but we're going to give them a fantastic weekend. Speaking of fantastic, man, how great was Thursday? Anybody love the snow? Ah, oh, love it. Man, I tell you, it's just, it's just made me so happy to get up and um, I woke up extra early. You know, it was kind of, it was still dark out, but I'm looking out, I'm like, what? Is that snow? And sure enough, man, I had my face on, you know, rubbed the little, you know, stuff off the window and looking out there. And sure enough, it just snowed and snowed and snowed. It was such an incredible day. We live kind of in the boonies <clears throat> off a, a dirt road that's like, you know, about eight-tenths of a mile. It just dirt, well, mud. And I, I have no idea if I was going to get to come to church today. So I'm glad you guys showed up. I'm glad I got to come. It's, it kind of worked out because I was thinking, I'm going to have to trek all the way down to the road in the snow if it snows again and catch an Uber to church because I won't be able to, we don't have four-wheel drive. I couldn't get out. But it is such a beautiful, beautiful scene right there. I mean, just look out the window. And today we're going to be talking about this kind of this pervasive sense of goodwill, of joy. We're going to go into a series. We're going to talk about this. But I want to start off with a question. I just want to ask you. When was the last time you felt joy? And like right now, you know, Thursday, whatever. It's, it's just right. Well, let me just kind of say this. <clears throat> I can still remember when I was a kid. You, you talk about the snow and all that kind of thing. When, when I was a kid, we grew up in the central San Joaquin Valley, a little town called Tulare, Delano. It's, it's over the hill down by Bakersfield. But in our area, it's Cowtown, 
literally, but we had this stuff called fog. Never, maybe never heard of it. Around here, the wind blows everything away. So, it, But this fog, it was so dense, it was so thick that literally you could stand at your window and not see the 20 feet down to, your, to the curb. You could literally not see your, dri- your driveway from your front window. It was that thick. And so what would happen is that every winter, you, you know, the kids would get up in the morning, we'd look out the window and just pray for fog, pray because there was foggy day schedule. And what would happen is they would either postpone school altogether or delay it for hours until the fog lifted a little bit. And so we'd run in there when it was a real foggy day and we'd turn on channel 26 because we didn't have cable and it was that antenna thing on the roof. And we'd click, click, click and turn to 26 and wait to see if our school would be on the little streaming sign at the bottom of the screen. And if it was like, Tillary, yay! You know, foggy day schedule. That's like Christmas day. I mean, it's the best. And I'm so sorry for those of you who are in school and you got your snow day on Thursday instead of Monday. But maybe it'll happen again. You can miss a school day. But what we think of when we think of joy is that sense of, oh, yes. Oh, man, this is good. This is, a matter of fact, this is great. So the first question is, When's the last time? Let me ask this question right now. How much joy are you living with today, right now? I mean, like on a scale of 1 to 10, if 1 is like, you know, you just like, no thank you, not happy, not into it, not feeling joy at all, anti-joy maybe, to 10, which was like, oh man, I'm just really feeling alive to all the good in in my life. It's just just overflowing. That's joy. Um, Where would you find yourself? So today, we're kicking off the series where we're going to be talking about joy, and what we're going to do is we're going to define what it is, kind of from the the scripture's perspective, what joy is, why it's so important, and more importantly is how do you get joy, and how do you keep it? How do you keep it? How do you just live in this pervasive sense of good? So from a biblical perspective, joy is a deep-seated sense of well-being. It's just like down deep. It's just good. It's all good. Even when it's not all good, it's like there's a overwhelming sense that even this will yield to the good. Even what I'm going through right now will ultimately yield to God's good in his plan. This too shall pass. It's all good. Ultimately, it's good. It's this sense of pervasive well-being. That's what we're talking about. And it's different from happiness. Happiness depends on happenings. For happiness to be there, you have to have the right happenings. It's circumstantial. Whereas joy, the scriptures teach, is something that can just dwell within us and grow within us over time to where it's just abundant. Matter of fact, um, the Greek word joy is directly connected to the Greek word for grace. So truly, joy is a grace that we experience in relationship with God. It's called a fruit of the Spirit. In other words, fruit is something that just happens when a tree is rightly connected, when its DNA is fruit-bearing and it's connected to the source that brings life. Man, fruit just comes. And what this is saying is that joy, this overwhelming sense of good in God's world, this pervasive sense, it's okay. It's okay. It's not only okay, it's good. That comes from being connected to grace. It's hand in hand. Joy is the natural outcome or byproduct of living in and from God's grace. So let's 
part of what we're doing in this series <clears throat> is we're going to focus on this one word because, to be honest, joy plays a starring role in the Christmas story. I know you thought Mary was, or Jesus, but let me just tell you, they have to, they have to make room for this other character called joy. You think about the people in the Christmas story. First of all, we start off with this, you know, Luke tells us about this guy named Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth. And you're like, who are they? What do they do with this story? Go back and read Luke. You'll know. There are those two. Then there's this guy named John the Baptist that comes along. Another part of the story. Then there's this person, these people called the Magi. And by the way, we three kings, total misnomer. There aren't three in the scripture. We just made that up because there are three gifts. Anyway, little side note. Then there are the shepherds. Then you have the angels. And they're all responding to who God is and what God is doing in his world. They're all kind of just expressing this incredible joy. They're all part of the story. And what we see over and over again is people erupting in this spontaneous sense of the goodness of God and the well-being of it, what it means to be in relationship with him. Mary sings her song. We call it the Magnificat. Magi unload their gifts. Zachariah bursts out with praise. Elizabeth sings her song. And in the middle of this, this little mysterious boy who won't stop banging on his drum, ba-rumpa-bum-bum. I'm sorry, that's not in the story for reals, but clearly he's never been around a newborn baby before. Because, but then there are the angels. And the angels' response to what God is doing is joy. It's great joy. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 2. Don't have time to read the whole story. hope you'll go home and read it. It's so good. But let's pick it up where we find it. So a little backstory. <clears throat> so there's this thing called a census. And basically what happened is the Roman, the Roman world, um, the emperor just decided they would tax the whole Roman world, right? In other words, they don't know who is all part of their Roman world yet because they've conquered so many. So they... They create this thing where everybody has to go home to your ancestral home, like where your forefathers were from, to register, and that way they can get a count. Basically, they're trying to count up how many people that they can either put into active service, who, but mostly who they can tax so the government continue to grow. So they send everybody back home. They require, they, they require everybody to go back to your ancestral home to register. So that's what we find. So this little couple, Joseph and Mary, are going back to their ancestral home of Bethlehem. <clears throat> so, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, nearby what? Nearby Bethlehem, where this is taking place, all right? They're keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. It's an interesting response, isn't it? When God's glory comes into a place and they're like, ah, that they just wet themselves. I mean, they're terrified. <clears throat> but the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Good news that will cause great joy. Now notice that the angel uses that word joy. That word joy. It's a word we hear a lot these, this time of year, right? I mean, it's on coffee cups, it's on, you know, it's on the wrappings of things, and it's, it's everywhere. It's, it's like even on a pillow in my house. I mean, joy, this, the word's joy. It's like culture has embraced this joy word. Culture loves it. 
I read this week that tears of joy emoji, the little emoji with the little tears of joy, is the most commonly texted and tweeted emoji in all the world. So don't say you didn't learn anything at church today. Just, I just read that. So everyone agrees, I would think, whether you have followed Jesus or not, whether, you, whether you've come into this kind of uh, faith experience or not, I think everybody agrees that we need more of this. We need more joy. We need a pervasive, a pervasive sense of good and well-being. I don't know about you, but I, I spent some time doing something really stupid the last couple of weeks. I started watching the news again. And um, I'm telling you, that this, this lively debate that's going on around our president and this, um, this experience that he's having, um, it's really entertaining, right? But if you watch it for a little while, you get this overwhelming sense of joy. The world is in a good place, aren't we? Now what you feel is like, yuck. Who can we trust? I mean, who's, I mean, we get the spin from the left, the spin from, we get all this different information colliding, and we're like, man, would somebody please just stand up and do the right thing and tell the truth? Would people just do what's right and quit playing games and quit lying and quit deceiving and quit tweaking and quit turning and just, just do right? And if you read the news and if you follow what's going on in our world, there's this overwhelming sense of yuck or despair or dis- this discouragement. But what we find in the story, I think you would agree, is what we need more than anything. An overwhelming sense of joy that no matter what's going on in Washington, D.C., no matter what the politicians are up to, or the business people, or those others who set prices and rig things and take advantage, whatever, that there's, we could use this sense that it's all good. I mean, God has got this. God is up to something. And that joy that won't fade because of my circumstances. Joy that holds weight in the midst of all the chaos that we find ourselves in. I think despite the culture's fascination with the word this time of year, many people aren't experiencing more joy right now. What they're experiencing is more stress, more anxiety, a little more depression, a little more acute sense of their aloneness in the world or their loneliness. Maybe you're experiencing even more depression or at the end of it all, it's kind of an emptiness when you're putting all the stuff back away. Maybe you're not experiencing joy, but that's why I'm so glad you're here because for this season, for this series, we're just going to experience together. We're just going to go back into the story and discover why is this such good news? And not only for me, not only, only for preachers and preacher land, but for everybody, for everyone. The, the, the angel said it's for everyone. So are you experiencing something that you would say, man, it's just good. It's just good. Well, we're going to. In the midst of all this, in the midst of all this chaotic stuff, we have these mysterious messengers from God. They're called angels who light up the sky with this simple, profound message. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. Notice he doesn't say, I bring you good news and great joy. He said, I bring you good news that will cause great joy. And that's because the good news is con- it's directly connected to the great joy. It, it's kind of what you call syllogism, right? Basically, if A is true, then B, right? Because of the good news, there will be great joy. For everyone who receives this good news, ta-da, the outcome, the, the byproduct, 
is you just have a spontaneous eruption of well-being and an anchored sense that all is good, no matter what's going on around me. I can handle it. It's good. I mean, God is up to something that eclipses everything else that the world is trying to put on me or that I see around me. It's good. Now, many of you are familiar with the great thinker C.S. Lewis, theologian, brilliant guy. And he wrote a book called Surprised by Joy. And in it, he kind of chronicles his story and his experience. C.S. Lewis actually came up in a church experience, in a church world. But he was put off by, he was a brilliant kid from the very beginning. He had a lot of questions about how things were done and why things were done. And he was really put off by the rigidity and the seeming disconnect between the story and the life of the people in the faith. So C.S. Lewis abandoned that in pursuit of some higher reality. He wanted to find out for himself, so he left religion behind. He actually explored all the religions, and he decided profoundly in his, you know, in his early years that there is no religion that really answers all the questions. I'm going to go seek for it in knowledge and experience. So he read more than just about any human could possibly read. He studied and learned and grew in his knowledge. And what continued to stress him out, what continued to haunt him as he was this atheist, literally taking a stand against religion was the sense of the lack of a pervasive sense of well-being there was nowhere to anchor his hope if this was all a cosmic collision an accident things that just happened there was nowhere to anchor there's no sense of purpose there was no meaning there was it was all just random chance and for him in his brilliance he could see that there's no possible way that you could have this much organization and detail to the nth detail of actual planning and brilliance, how everything was woven together in precise, this kind of uh, relationship, symbiotic relationship. And he's like, but not only that, that was one thing, but then he comes to this other conclusion. He could find no other lasting sense of joy in any pursuit. He couldn't find joy. And that's what it brought him back to this person of Jesus. And Lewis discovered after years of searching what the angel said was actually true. Great joy goes hand in hand with good news. He returned to the good news and experienced the great joy. And he spent the rest of his life trying to help others experience that incredible joy through the good news. My hope for this message is that I can help connect the dots for you. Back to where you understand that great joy only comes from the good news. And once you have received, and once you really understand the good news and how good it is and why it's so good, and you put that, and you totally receive it, then guess what? That great joy is what results. That brings us back to the angels. Now, the angels show up on the scene with this message of great joy. Luke, he he writes, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, I know we hear that a bit, that verse pretty much every time, you know, this time this year. And it's easy to pass over what these words are saying, but they're really important. You see, in the original text, the word glory has a bigger, deeper, richer meaning than what we have in the English translation. It's the word doxa, and it implies that there's a weight, the greatest gravity, the greatest density, the greatest heaviness or abundance is this source called God and his kingdom. The glory, the weight of God, the weight of the reality, the the weight of the truth is something that disrupts all of the realities. It displaces them. I kind of think of it, um, 
you think of the principle of physics that says two objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time. So if two, if two objects are trying to occupy the same space at the same time, the object with the greater mass or density or weight will displace the lesser weight item. So basically you have these two things competing like two brothers competing for the bed on the top bunk and the bigger brother wins. Right? Okay, he just chucks the little brother off. And that's kind of how it's the, the weight of something. So what does that have to do with the angels and joy and all that? A lot, actually. See, this principle helps us understand the doxa or the glory of God. So what we celebrate when we come together and we start singing carols and we put up our trees and we talk about little baby Jesus, we're celebrating what God was doing when he brought heaven and the kingdom of the reality of God, the reign of God, the realm of God, into a human being and entered in Jesus, entered the world to make himself known and available. The weight, and you just stare at the sun for a minute. Oh, that's right, you can't. Because it'll blow your eyes out. Well, you just think of some of the gravity of what we live in and, and the, the immensity of our universe. And then you picture the one who spoke it into being. And you picture his glory, the weight of this being. And that he brought himself down into this tiny little package of a baby. The weight and the glory of all reality, of the ultimate reality, has entered our world to disrupt all lesser realities, all lesser truths. Those things are now displaced. Uh, I, could, I just liken it to like this. When I used to have a waterbed, we had that for years and years, and I, I just kind of what I grew up in in the 70s, we had waterbeds. And, and what we realized is the thing of greatest weight, everything else orbited around it. So when I dove on the waterbed and somebody lesser was in there, like Lori, she rolls right to me. I love it. It's great. <laughs> Little kids on the bed, either they go, whoo, off to the side, or they kind of, you know, roll right to the middle. They join me in my reality because I had the greatest density. <laughs> the greatest weight. The glory of God is this sense that when you awaken to the reality of the maker of all things and you enter into willing, you enter into a willing relationship with that all other truths either displace or they come to orbit around God. That your life, your life is, it has the potential to literally partner with the maker in doing amazing things in this world if you anchor yourself in this ultimate reality that God is and God is good and God is love and God is up to bringing his kingdom to bear in this world. The renewal of all things has begun when Jesus came into this planet. When Jesus entered this world, the kingdom of heaven collided with the kingdom, the lesser kingdoms of this world. And for everybody who made room for the kingdom of God, who orbit their life around God and his king, the reality of God, you make that what you worship because whatever's at the center of your orbit, whatever your world circles around, whatever your, whatever your time obeys and answers to, whatever the ultimate truth of your world is, that is what you worship. That is what you call God. That is, that is the center for you. So when you make it by choice, you open your heart and you welcome in the reality of the kingdom of God that has come now into the world. The glory, the doxa of God brings with it this pervasive sense that all is well because God is in charge. I don't care if you came this morning and you're experiencing like some, a real health issue, 
a real relationship collapse, a financial crisis. It doesn't matter if you're facing the most incredibly scary moment of your life. If you have the reality of God at the center, if your world is orbiting around this truth that the king of heaven has come to earth and made himself available to us, your world changes. Your perspective shifts. This principle, the glory, the doxa of God, <clears throat> is what we find in the Christmas story. And we celebrate what the angels came to communicate was this new reality. God has become a human, and in the person of Jesus, he's made himself accessible, knowable. I mean, how could you know God? He's invisible, right? As far as we can tell, we, we don't know how to interact with that supreme being. So Jesus, Jesus came to show us. And that's why verse uh, Matthew one twenty three says, They will call him Emmanuel, God with us. God wanted to be with us. I think it's, it's sort of a beautiful collision between heaven and earth. Up there, there has come down here. And our human worlds have collided with the divine ultimate reality. And for all who are willing, for all who would receive him, he's invited you into this ultimate reality where joy comes. And, and that's where it comes from. So we want to know what does joy look like? Where does it come from? Well, that's where the collision of kingdom of God collides with kingdom of earth and my little kingdom that's where it happens. The weightier kingdom of those two realities displaces the other. Angels are living proof of this. I mean, proof of what happens when God is the center. When you look in the story, angels are bursting out in song all the time. They're singing, they're, they're praising, they're worshiping. It's like, we've been with God, and you would not believe how good this is. The fact that he's come to earth to be with you guys, you sinful people, it's unreal. You, don't, you have no idea what this means. This is the best news ever ever it's you have been praying and dreaming and hoping for this humanity has since the beginning and now it's happened in jesus get your hands on that living proof of what happens god displacing the little human realities of worry and fear and shame and regret and disgust and all those things that's the good news of christmas that's what happens and, and maybe a simple uh, example i can come up with is is reality of falling in love now, some of you have experienced this scary thing, falling in love, because your, alternate, your, your reality is altered. I remember when I finally convinced Lori she was in love with me. It was, it was amazing. And when she woke up to the fact that, yes, in fact, I do I'm in love with you. I mean, it was kind of one of those realities, like everything else changed. The whole world shifted, and it didn't matter. The lesser realities were all my friends that used to be the center, but now they're not. She's the center. And so they didn't understand, no, we can't drive. I'm not going to ride around and throw water balloons at strangers today. No, I'm with Lori. This is, this is the ultimate reality. It's shifted in my life. My world now evolves around her. And she wants to be, and even explains to her, but, but Mr. Miller, I'm sorry we're 15 minutes late, but we had to be together. You know, the reality is we wanted, we're in love. And that's kind of what happens when you enter into relationship with God. It's like all other realities take second place. All other things kind of take a side place, and you realize, I'm forming my, my life around the ultimate reality of what is really happening. It's weightier, it's heavier, it's grander, it's better, and it's truer than anything else in the world, and it's changing me. When you anchor on, when you get up with the knowledge that I'm with God because God has come to me and made himself available, that I can walk through this day no matter what I face, I have it with him. He is there. He's taking my hand. He's guiding me. And this world is passing away, and it's going to be a whole new reality when we get to stand with him in full glory, when he enters this world and makes the renewal you know, complete. But in the meantime, 
it is well with my soul. There's a song that we sing. It's called Joy to the World, written in 1719 by a guy named Isaac Watts. Watts now, he wrote over 750 songs in his lifetime. And um, just so you know, it, I guess it takes a lot of songs to get a good one. But anyway, he's, he's got this one that's like a hit. And it's, it's actually the number one most published Christmas song in North America. Just an indicator of how starved we are for this reality. Interestingly, Watts based this song on the psalm written in uh, verse chapter you know, 98, Psalm 98. Because the psalm basically is, in a nutshell, the story of Christmas in, in advance. It's basically a prophetic psalm that's looking into what God is up to. And he wanted to base his, his uh, song on the reality before it happened and the anticipation of all humanity waiting for God to intervene in our broken world, waiting for God to step in and do something about what's wrong here. He's like, so that was why he wrote it. Here's what the, the psalm says. Sing a new song to the Lord, for he's done wonderful deeds. His right hand has won a mighty victory. His holy arm has shown his saving power. The Lord has announced his victory and has revealed his righteousness to Israel. The ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. Again, this is kind of prophetic song about the coming of Jesus. And when victory would finally, would, when Jesus would take victory over death and hell and all of those things and begin the inauguration of the reign of God in the world. So this psalm speaks to that collision, this new ultimate reality with the broken, limping reality. It speaks to the Savior Jesus and what he would do. Go to the cross. He would take on death. He would overcome it. He'd be the victor. His victory would be your victory. His success would be your success. His new kingdom would be your new home. And, and it's extended his invitation to everyone. It goes out to shepherds and Jews and Gentiles and prostitutes and politicians. And yes, those are different. And to you and to me, to everyone. It's like this is good news to anyone, despite where you come from, what you've done, it's like unlike anything else you've ever known or experienced. And that's why Peter says it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. So when I think about Christmas and I think about the story, Jesus coming, it's kind of like what we experienced Thursday. We, we had snow everywhere. I mean, my kids were out snowboarding, and we had friends come over, and they were just going down in, like, little plastic toboggans. We have these really steep hills that, you know, surround our house. So they were just having a blast. And we got soaking wet because I wasn't prepared for snow, and so I was in sweats and, you know, just a regular jacket. And so by the time we come in, you know, everybody's just like, blah, blah, blah. but we had this roaring fire, and it's like stepping out of the cold, frozen, you know, painful world into a, a new reality of warmth and joy and food and smells and festivity and family. It's like, that's the kingdom. It's leaving this cold, dark, you know, kind of chilled place for this place, this other reality of blessing and good. That's what it is. Jesus, when he's with you, when he's in you, when you're walking with him, when you've opened to him, you're better right here, no matter what else is going on. It's warmer right here. It's okay right here. And the psalmist says it this way, in your presence is fullness of joy. So folks, this is the reality. We have to learn to walk in this. We have to learn how to live day by day, moment by moment, in constant awareness of the kingdom that is now a reality for us, that we can live in it, even though it's, a, it's almost but not, I mean, it's here but not yet fully. 
although it's it's started but the fullness has not happened we haven't had the judgment we haven't had all those things that are coming so it's the beginning of this but we can walk in it now now i want to take you just a moment like picture a, a contrast with you of what we see in our culture versus what the kingdom is offering See, joy is often, you know, chalked up to happiness or some emotion that we feel in response to a particular circumstance. The problem with that is we become victims of circumstance. We just, whatever happens around me, that's how I feel. That's my reality. That's the truth. That's my circumstance. That's culture. That's humanity. That's brokenness. But when we become dependent on something other than the good news, basically, of the gospel. But when you have entered into belief in, trust in, relationship with the God of the good news. It really doesn't matter what's going on around you so much that you are anchored so deeply in the reality of his care and, conf and confidence that he is doing a thing in the world that is just unreal. Your world is anchored to God, the maker. And no matter what you're experiencing right now in your personal life, he's leading you into something bigger and better. And he will see you through it. That the kingdom of heaven is breaking into the world. You are part of that. Got to skip a bunch of that because we're out of time. Here's what I want to kind of head into. When we, when we talk about this reality of the kingdom, how do we enter it? How do we begin to experience joy? How do we live in? How do we, how do we come to this place of joy? First of all, say yes to this new reality. You've got to say yes. The kingdom is available. That's what they, they said. This will be to all people, to everyone who receives to all who believe in him, he gave them the right to become children of God. It's to everyone, but it's up to you. You have to say yes to this kingdom, which means you have to say no to the other lesser kingdoms. Because the greater thing is going to displace the lesser things. The ultimate truths are going to displace your beliefs about other things that are not true. The thing that you think, oh, this will bring me happiness. I'm going to do life my way. I'm going to push against God. God, I really want you when I'm in trouble, and I want you when a time, to, you know, for judgment. I want Jesus to, you know, cover my sins and all that. But I, I kind of want to do what I want to do while I'm here. I want the best of both worlds. Well, guess what? That's such flawed thinking because you think the best is something you've come up with versus what God came up with. I mean, this is the God who created Adam and Eve, the garden, naked and everybody's happy. I'm just saying, this is God who came up with every single thing that's good in our world. And we're the ones that broke it, doing it our way. When we come back to the reality, and the reality of saying yes to the kingdom is actually a word in Scripture called repentance. Repentance is an awakening when you come to awareness of what is ultimately true versus what you thought was true, and you turn as a result. Like, I think this is going to get me home. Oh, no, this is going to walk me into the aqueduct. I guess I better turn. The reality is my home is this way. I think my life is going to be best if I do this. But actually, God says that my life will be ultimately better if I do this. I'm turning. Repentance is awakening and changing because of a new reality. It's to think and be different after being with, another way to say it. It's to think differently and be different after being with, in other words, because I'm experiencing Jesus, I've had an awakening that that is no longer going to work. The way I used to talk, the things I used to do, the things I used to watch, the things I used to participate in, the things that I used to think were going to bring me happiness are no longer satisfying. I'm going to turn from that to find out what God says the ultimate reality of what a human was made to do and be would look like. And I'm going to walk in that. 
So it's saying yes to the kingdom. And it's turning and changing directions. John the Baptist came along. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The good news is that there's an ultimate reality that's now invaded your reality, and it's your choice. But if you enter into it, you're going to enter into the plan that God always had for you. And it's going to begin something brand new. So here's, here's that, there's that phrase, good news. And so here's what John is saying. Good news is the cause of joy. And repentance is the gateway to the good news. Repentance. Okay, so good news brings great joy. But repentance is how you get the good news. It doesn't become good until you believe it, until you begin to walk in it. And it's something you begin to do. Christmas represents this collision where you have to choose, yes or no, this reality or some other form of reality. And it, it requires that you say, interesting, it requires you say no to your own kingdom. No to something else. No to pride and selfishness and indifference and entitlement. Some of the biggest barriers to life in the kingdom is basically the lesser things we say yes to. So we need to say yes to the God reality and no to these other ones. Selfless love, yes to the compassion, yes to concern for others, yes to taking care of the needy, even at the expense of my own self, yes. Every day we have to make a choice. Will we let the glory of this new kingdom be my reality, or will I just live in this present-day yuck of whatever happens to me at the moment? What if the same glory that poured out of the angels actually invaded Journey Church? What if we really got our arms around this is not only good news, this is the best news. And this news isn't meant just for a, a good feeling at Christmas time and put a log on the fire and put a song on. This is meant to invade your life so that your whole life feels, looks, and behaves differently. What if this is the best news ever? And what if Journey Church became known for this, for joy, for just a place where they talk about Christians, man, those guys, they just are full of joy. They just seem so happy. Yes. Say yes. Next one. Make space. In the Christmas story, <clears throat> it's really interesting. You have the angels. They're the most joyful creatures of all. They're the most joyful beings because they're per perpetually living in the reality of God. So they're just full of joy. In contrast, look at the shopkeeper. Okay, before this, we didn't have time for this in the story, but before this little engagement we had this, with the angels and the shepherds, there was this story where the the young couple are coming to, the, you know, they're coming back to Bethlehem. They're coming to the place where they have to register. And when they get there, guess what? Everybody else has already beat them. Pregnant lady has to kind of travel slowly. So she's nine months into this thing. It's, it's going to be slow on the donkey or whatever. But when they arrive, just, just picture all of the people, all the ancestral people of this little community all coming home at once. It's kind of like everybody, you know, from Los Angeles all coming home to Antelope Valley or whatever. It's like... We all just came home, and there's no room. So we find the story where the shopkeeper, the little innkeeper, turns it away, and, and the Christmas play where the little kids come, you know, it's like, there's no room for you. You know, it's not really like that. We kind of give him a bad rap. It's not really like it's like saying no to Jesus and the Messiah and the kingdom of God. What he's basically saying, it's a default no. No, I don't have room. No, I'm so sorry you have a pregnant lady. I'm so sorry. No, look, we've got people in every floor and every single hallway. We've got people in the... Tell you what, nobody's in the barn yet. You can have the barn. I mean, that's kind of what it was. But what we find is it's, it's really making room. It's, it's, you have a default no something in your life. 
For some of you, it's no to the family, the relatives, the in-laws. It's no to another commitment. It's no to whatever. It's no to giving to this cause or no to whatever. You have default no's. It's changing your default no's to the right things. It's changing what you say yes to, what you say no to. If my life is too, if my schedule's too packed, man, if there are too many parties and too many things, you have to say no to something. Make sure you say no to the right things. You know, this is, this is why we do church. This is why we have gatherings. This is why we worship and sing and teach and all that. Because we want you to enter into life. Honestly, I just want this more than anything else for you. I want you to experience life to the full. I want you to have this abundant sense of the well-being of life of God, no matter what you're going through. And every time we gather and every time we have little small groups and Wednesday nights and connects and all those things, all these things are is just tools. They're just mechanisms to help you come more and more into the reality of the, the kingdom of heaven and live in it. In community, we do it together. And one of the ways you do that is you have to start taking a look at your schedule, look at your life and just say, and if I'm going to have a default, no, I'm not going to say no to God. I'm not going to say no to his plans or his purposes or the thing he wants me to be a part of. I'm going to have to say no to some other things, lesser realities, lesser kingdoms, lesser gods. And as you read through the story, people always had to give up something to gain joy, always had to give up something to gain joy. The shepherds had to walk away from their sheep, leave them out in the field, and go in there to see what was happening in town. The magi had to give up their safety completely because they were saying no to Herod, who had the power, and literally he destroyed thousands and thousands of people in pursuit of this child. He murdered thousands of babies and others. So they had to take their life in their own hands and not, not obey Herod in order to go worship the king. Mary and Joseph had to give up their reputation. Everybody's looking at them like, oh, I've been sleeping together before marriage. Ah, <laughs> got caught. Pregnant. Ah, that happens. They had to go, regardless of what everybody thought, they couldn't run around and convince everybody, no, God did this. No, really, this is like immaculate conception. You'll hear it later. There'll be stories about it. They couldn't explain it to anybody. They loot. Everybody who wanted joy had to give up something in order to possess the great thing God was doing. What will you say no to this Christmas to make room for joy? What will you say no to? Maybe it's as simple as not answering your work emails while you're at home at night so you can spend time with your quality time with your family. Maybe it's just taking the cell phones and putting them away, shutting them off so that during mealtimes we get to have interaction and just encourage one another and just be there with each other. Maybe it's just turning off, just saying no to social media for a while because it's robbing you of actual human interaction. Maybe it's turning off the talk radio on the way to your work every day so you can listen to something uplifting and encouraging and brings you back into a spirit of awareness. God's world is invading ours. I get to be a part of this. It's good. Final thing, pay attention. Pay attention. The doxa, the glory of God, been revealed. The presence and the kingdom of God is all around. It's breaking into this world. It's all around us. And you get to see it. You get to experience it. You get to live in it. And you get to worship God because of it. The shepherds returned after this whole thing. They returned where? To their flocks, to their houses, to their day jobs, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The shepherds were witnessing the birth of Jesus when they did that, when they had encountered the doxa of God, the glory of God, when they, they had joy. And what happened? That it changed their whole world. 
Yes, they're going back to the same smelly sheep and the same, same pen, and they're going back to the night shift, and they're going back to cold nights out in the, in the elements. They're going back to all of that, but their world was so turned upside down that they were going back with a sense of wonder and worship that changed everything. So I just want to encourage you. The more attentive I am to what God is doing in the world, the more naturally my response will be joy. I want to pray for you. I'm going to invite the band to come. And I just want to ask God to lead us this season. I'm going to be talking about this. We're, going to, we're just going to break this down into each of the stories and, and just kind of help get our hands and our minds and our lives centered around this new reality. And so I want to begin today by just praying with you. So can we bow together? God, as we close today, all the busyness of, and all, even all the words that I just said, oh, wow, there are a lot of words. God, it all boils down to this. What reality are we actually living? What is the ultimate reality that we're pursuing? What yields to other things? What's the center of it all for us? And and this Christmas, my prayer, Lord, is that we would connect the dots between what it is to really experience and live in the joy of God and, and this amazing good news that the good news is what brings the great joy it's the AB relationship and God there are people in this room today that either they've never experienced it they've never opened themselves and said yes to your kingdom and your ways and your plan and your Godness, your deity your center of their life surrender they've never done that My prayer today is that they would right now have just that sense of well-being that comes as we get closer to you. That sense of joy as we anticipate what you're going to do. How when we confess our sins, man, all of what we've done, all the things, our failures, our past, and all that, you wash them because of Jesus' death. He took our place. So they're gone. And if you're here in this room today and that's you and you want to just be like released of all the baggage right now. You just pray a simple prayer. God, I give you my life. I give you my past. I give you my sin and my failure. I just ask you, forgive me. Make me new. I say yes to you and your kingdom. I say yes to the ducks, the glory of God and the joy that you bring. I say yes to following you. And I realize it's not just a yes today. It's yes every day to live in the reality of this kingdom. And I say yes. For others of you, it's just redefining and reshaping and reorienting your life around this incredible good news so that this year you experience it all over again. And I just want to pray for you. God, give each of us eyes to see and ears to hear what's going on, the reality of the kingdom all around us. Lead us into this life that is truly joyous. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys stand with me. We're going to sing one last song before we break up and take all the chairs out of the way, but let's worship together before we go.
Have an incredible Sunday. May you experience joy this week. We will see you guys next time.